From understanding a global economic crisis to crunching the numbers at the grocery till, she makes it easy and helps keep more money in your wallet. This is For What It's Worth with Rabina Ahmed Haq. It has been a really fun two weeks. I was away on holiday uh, in Thailand and I learned a lot about different economies. Because when I was there, I started asking a lot of questions about how much prices had gone up uh, in in Thailand, how the cost of food had gone up, how gasoline prices had gone up. And definitely most people I spoke to said things have become more expensive. But when I compared how much we in Canada are paying more for things like fruits and vegetables and grocery store items and household items, the increase has not been felt as dramatically in that country. And so it got me thinking about why is it that we have this difference in a country Yes, it's it's across the world, but we're, we keep talking about inflation as being this global phenomena. And when I dug deep, really, the countries that have the highest labor costs are the ones that have seen in their inflation rates rise the most. So the more we pay people, which we should uh, in first world countries, G7 nations, we tend to have what well, we do have uh, much stricter labor rules. Uh, we pay people minimum wage at the very least for work that they do. Uh, And because these are developed nations, uh, highly skilled workers come into the country and they can demand higher and higher wages for those jobs. And that's not the case in in countries in Southeast Asia. And so that was one thing that I, you know, I didn't completely, even though I knew that that was the case, that labor costs are much lower and that's why we can buy goods for cheap that are made in places like China and Indonesia and Bangladesh. Uh, But I didn't realize that how much it actually impacts inflation and that inflation is not just being driven by gasoline prices, but it's also being driven by labor costs. It's costing more to create that product because we have to pay people fairly. We have to pay them a living wage in order to create it. And so that even though it's frustrating to hear that we are impacted by inflation more in Canada than we are in a place halfway across the world, I also can see with, you know, just by just by observing that there are very lax labor rules. I mean, construction workers working in flip-flops and uh, people working long hours, and there's really no protections there and uh, not, you know, really in some cases being paid cash and under the table. And so all of that doesn't exist here in Canada, at least not at the same rate. And that is why we're feeling the impacts of that inflation more here in this country than we are, than we would if we were living somewhere else. But I just thought that was an interesting, um, interesting observation when I was, when I was uh, on my holiday and um, something just that we should be aware of that uh, we pay more for things because we live in a country that is much more uh, concerned about uh, labor protection rights and, uh, and wage rights for, for our citizens. And that's, I think, a good thing. Uh, this week, the Bank of Canada uh, released some details on its interest rate decisions uh, that it has been making for the last year. And it has indicated that they may not raise interest rates if they see inflation numbers continuing to come down. So that's good news, right? For all of us who have been feeling the effect of those effects of those higher interest rates, feeling the effects of our mortgage payments go up, uh, every month or every few, every six or so weeks when the Bank of Canada makes that announcement, the first thing that happens is anyone with a variable rate mortgage sees their borrowing costs go up. And in some cases, their payments go up right away. So uh, hearing from the Bank of Canada that they uh, don't want to raise interest rates if they see 
that inflation number come under control. And in fact, some economists are saying that by the end of this year, we might actually see an interest rate cut. So that would be really good news for anybody that is worried about their cost of borrowing, because then that would make it easier for you to make those payments. Uh, and that's something that uh, as, as Canadians, we have been grappling with. In some cases, mortgage rates have doubled in this in this country for those individuals who got into those mortgages at the beginning of the of, of the year and bought at the top of the market. And so they are the ones who have been suffering the most. So this is good news for them. We have a great show today. We're going to talk to uh, an airline expert about changes that are coming to the Air Passenger Bill of Rights. So when you travel, how, you, how those rights are becoming stronger for passengers, if they lose your luggage, if your flight is delayed, if anything happens to disrupt your travel, what are your rights and how those are changing uh, later this year. And as well, how to bring up the topic of money with your romantic partner. It can be a really difficult conversation, but there's a new uh, new game that a financial institution has created called Talk Money to Me that's hoping to make those conversations just a little bit easier because it is Valentine's. So we're all thinking about our sweetie, but let's think about our relationship long-term. And that means talking about money and making those conversations easier with our significant other. I'm Rubina ahmed Huck. This is For What It's Worth. You're listening to For What It's Worth with Rabina ahmed Hawk. We have heard so many horror stories in the last six months of airline passengers having everything happen to them, whether it's stuck without their luggage, having their flights canceled or delayed, um, having to stay in another country for several more days than they expected because the airline isn't flying for whatever reason. And oftentimes, passengers don't know what their rights are. So when something like that happens, if your luggage doesn't show up in your destination, what are your rights? What can you go to that airline or that airport and what can you ask them for? What can you say that this is something that you you can demand from them? Uh, can you ask them for money to replace those things in your suitcase? Can you ask them to expedite your suitcase wherever it ended up to your hotel room? All of these things are something that I think about as I travel, if I, if I ever have an issue as to what exactly my rights are, because it's not something we're all that familiar with. Well, Airline Passenger Bill of Rights is actually changing this spring, and it's really in response uh, to everything that I just talked about. And uh, the air travel industry having so many flaws that have come up because we're traveling again after two and a half years. So some of those, those problems that existed before the pandemic just seem to be exacerbated now as more and more of us try to travel uh, and get out there because we can. Uh, to talk about what this means and what this new Air Passenger Bill of Rights could mean for airline passengers, we're joined by Omar Kaywan. He is an expert on, uh, on air, Canadian air travel, and he joins me now. Welcome to the program, Omar. So I want to start by asking you, Omar, you know, what changes are coming to the passenger bill of rights that we may not be aware of? Um, I think at this point, it's really hard to tell. But from the speech that the transport minister gave us, um, it seems like it's going to be more so around holding airlines accountable for 
you know, their operations um, uh, in terms of uh, lost luggage, um, how to handle that, damaged luggage, um, you know, when flights are being canceled, what is their service level agreement or what is the minimum amount of time or the maximum amount of time um, uh, they can take to get back to customers and passengers and get them rebooked or, um, you know, offer them recourse. Um, I think a lot of Canadians may or may not know this, but today there is uh, air passenger protection rights that the uh, Canadian Transport Authority has um, uh, published since 2019, which was the last update, where there are recourse and compensation available if there's flight delays or cancellations when the airline has full control, um, as well as when it comes to lost luggage uh, or damage or delayed luggage. Um, but what we're talking about in here, which a lot of people have been been impacted by is the fact that, you know, we're hearing stories where people have air tags in their luggage and they can actually track their luggage kind of making a world tour, but, you know, the airline can't find it and can't get it to them. Or the fact that, you know, their flight was canceled because of a snowstorm and they didn't hear from the airline for a good seven to 14 days. So these are the issues that we're trying to solve for. And I'm really hoping that the updated Bill of Rights will contain some of this, which um, what the federal government and the minister was alluding to during his speech. Now, Omar, uh, you are the co-founder and chief growth officer at Goose Insurance. Does insurance pay, play a role in, uh, you know, whether you get that uh, travel insurance before you, you head out on your vacation? What role does that play uh, when something does go wrong and how useful can it be to be insured? Absolutely. I think insurance is there to help protect you in scenarios like this. Um, you know, um, if you can afford to buy an all-inclusive insurance package, which will include your trip and your accommodation and your and your baggage, as well as your health insurance when you're outside of Canada or outside of your home province, um, then you should definitely be doing so. And, you know, within insurance policies as well, um, there are limits um, per, um, you know, the, the, the type of policy that you buy and, and, and in terms of how much you will be covered for. And then if your baggage is delayed, how, what is your, what is your, sort of allowable maximum um, for um, reimbursement. But with that being said, you know, a lot of Canadians are in a bit of a pinch right now. People are continuing to travel, but, you know, everybody's on a budget considering the current um, sort of uh, economic conditions. If you do have to purchase insurance or if, if you're, if you're, a budget is limited. Spend your money on health insurance because that is the most expensive financial risk you'll face. When it comes to luggage, particularly, as nice as it would be if you're on a budget, you don't have to spend the money on the luggage insurance because that is really the airline's responsibility to get your uh, luggage safely to your destination and back. Um, you should rather be spending your money on on, on travel medical insurance. Um, but if you can afford to buy it all because you want the peace of mind, then absolutely um, the insurance policies are there to protect you. And definitely, uh, you know, make sure that you're looking at um, insurance when it comes to COVID procedures and how it would be how it would be managed if, for example, you became sick sick with COVID nineteen uh, in the country that you were traveling to, because that's something new that we haven't had to think about. Uh, that as we're traveling again after the pandemic, uh, it's just just something to be aware of. Uh, I know that when I traveled last, that was something I, I wanted to clearly know um, how our insurance would handle that if we had to isolate 
isolate somewhere or we had to be hospitalized for COVID-19 specifically. I wanted to, to ask you, um, the changes that are coming, how do you see them improving the air passenger experience? Because I feel like there's a lot of work that needs to be done uh, to, to really uh, make uh, passengers uh, feel more comfortable uh, getting on a plane and knowing that everything is going to go as planned. I think it's really uh, what the expectation is that the government will put um, specific guidelines together for airlines to abide by. Um, and I think, you know, they have attempted to do this before um, and it is there. I mean, if you look at our air passenger bill of rights is is much better than what, you know, um, uh, is available in some of our neighboring countries. So, you know, the Canadian government is doing its best to do that. And I think this updated bill of rights will actually elevate that. Um, but I think it's really coming back to the operations. I think the reality that we're dealing with right now is that a lot of airlines were hit hard by COVID-19. There's We're talking about shortage of staff still. They're, they're not fully uh, staffed. Um, the operations are not fully up and running as it was before. Although when you look at the overall traffic that is going through international airports today across Canada, we're basically at pre-pandemic, if not more, higher volumes. So I think that's part of the issue in terms of, you know, like, making sure that the airline is abiding by all these guidelines uh, in terms of, you know, if the flight is canceled, you hopefully they'll state how many hours that the airline has to rebook the passenger um, uh, on another flight. Or, you know, um, if if the luggage is lost, hopefully you'll get it back, you know, within an X amount of days. We're really hoping that the Bill of Rights will have some specific guidelines to hold the airline accountable, but also make the passengers feel comfortable um, taking um, uh, flights and continuing to travel. Now, the Bill of Rights currently says that they try to be very clear and transparent about what passenger rights are when it comes to communication or a canceled flight, or maybe for some reason you can't board on the plane that you were booked on. Do you believe that it is currently clear that, that passengers do understand what their rights are, or do they need to do uh, more communication so that people know what their rights are before they board that aircraft? I think in some in some respects, it is very clear because it actually tells you, you know, when the airline is responsible for um, providing compensation and recourse when the flight is delayed or canceled when the airline is in control. So those are scenarios like, you know, um, uh, aircraft maintenance or shortage of staff or flighting, canceling the flight because they don't have enough uh, flight attendants or, or pilots, whatever the case may be. Those are all within the airline's control and the airline has to provide compensation, rebook the passenger on a different flight, um, including if the flight is delayed. When it comes to situations where the airline is, the, the situations outside of the airline's control, such as a massive snowstorm, a NOTAM outage, which we experienced in the United States that did impact some of the flights um, from Canada going into the U.S., uh, and so on and so forth. In those situations, the airlines is actually not responsible, and the only thing that they can offer is uh, getting the passenger rebooked on the next available flight. But when it comes to things like lost luggage, it's really focused more so towards international flights. It's not very clear in terms of domestic, and it's not clear in terms of, you know, if the luggage is delayed um, for more than two or three days, what kind of recourse is available um, uh, based on the CTA's guidelines. It is really dependent on what the airline is offering. So in some scenarios, there's a lot of work to be done to make it very clear, both for the passenger as well as the airline, uh, in terms of what the expectations and the guidelines must be. 
There are limitations uh, that this Bill of Rights protects. Uh, Talk to me a little bit about, you know, if you're traveling somewhere other than Canada, how you really cannot tap into this if uh, if any of those things that we've been talking about happen and your in your 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 travel is somehow disrupted. Um, in terms of international travel, I mean, it's really uh, part of the part of the discussion is also the fact that the size of the airline and the destination the passenger is going to. If it's an international airline and it's a larger um, uh, airline, the compensation expectation is higher. If it's a smaller airline and domestic flights, uh, it's a little bit less. So I think part of that is also kind of evening the ground a little bit, for lack of a better word, to be able to clearly communicate um, in terms of what this needs to be for uh, passengers moving forward. And and to make clear that this is really on flights that are to and from within Canada. So if you're flying, say, you know, from Japan to Hong Kong, you can't, even if you're Canadian, you cannot rely on this to protect you. It really is flights that originate or, or, or end in Canada. Is, is that correct? Um, that is correct. I mean, we, we we can only enforce this within the jurisdiction um, of of the Canadian soil, essentially, for 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 lack of a better word. So, with airlines are operating within Canada, coming into Canada, or uh, Canadian airlines, obviously, um, uh, will be a responsible part of this as well. But uh, if an international airline is, you know, uh, bringing passengers and operating in and out of Canada, they would have to abide by uh, by these rules as well. But if you are, you know, uh, booking flights from with a Canadian airline to a destination and then from there on you're rebooking on a completely different itinerary with an international airline um, that has no sort of ties or relationship or, or flies into Canada, then you are really um, up to the rules and regulation of that particular country, destination and airline. This has been such an interesting conversation. So many of us don't really know what our rights are when we travel. I think it's really important to to read uh, the, the 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 Bill of Rights, the Passenger Bill of Rights, before you get on a plane, just so you know when something goes wrong, what you can and can't ask for, uh, and especially once you get back to Canada, knowing uh, you know what your rights are for compensation and other things, because uh, a lot of times the airline is not going to tell you. Uh, you're going to have to ask for it uh, to 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 get that uh, compensation for an for an example. Thanks so much Omar for joining us today and getting us up to date on what's going on. Thank you so much for having me. That's Omar Kaywan. He's the co-founder and chief growth officer at Goose Insurance, and he's an air travel expert talking about changes that are coming to the Air Passenger Bill of Rights. So when, when we travel on an aircraft that originates in Canada or lands in Canada, we have certain rights that we can definitely uh, ask about if something goes wrong, if our if our travel is disrupted, if our luggage is lost, if for some reason we can't board the plane. We do have rights to ask certain questions as to why that's happening and the airline has to give us those answers. We are going to take a short break. When we come back, it's Valentine's this week. And instead of using this time to talk about love and maybe buy your partner some romantic gifts, you should do that part too. But maybe this is also a time to do something that's really going to make your relationship more healthy. Bring up that money conversation, which can feel really, really scary to do. But our next guest has a game that actually makes it fun to bring up money when it comes to talking to your romantic partner about their financial situation. I'm Ruby Ahmed Huck, and this is For What It's Worth. You're listening to For What It's Worth with Rabina Ahmed Huck.
Valentine's Day this week and we might be or you might be getting ready to have a nice romantic meal with your significant other. Maybe you're buying that gift that you know that they've had their eye on that's really going to tell them how much you love them, which is all great. I'm doing that too. I'm trying to think of something nice to buy for my husband. After being married for so many years, it's kind of hard to surprise your significant other. Uh, But one thing that we can do that will actually improve our relationship for the long term is talk about finances. I know it's not very sexy, and I definitely think in many relationships, it's hard to bring up. But money is one of the reasons one of the top reasons that couples split up. And if you don't have those conversations about money, not just early on in your relationship, but ongoing, it can become a source of contention and a reason why couples fight. But how do you bring up the subject of money with your significant other without them feeling like you're just asking questions that are none of your business? Maybe asking them what their salary or their debts are is going to make your significant other feel a little bit uncomfortable. And so many of us just decide not to bring it up at all. Well, Coast Capital, which is a financial cooperative in British Columbia, has a new game that they have developed that will make this money conversation a little bit easier. It's called Talk Money to Me, and it really does help break the ice when it comes to having that money conversation with your significant other. To talk about this and more, I'm joined by Trish Tambellini. She's with Coast Capital. Welcome to the program, Trish. Hi. How big of an issue is financial uh, conversations in romantic relationships, specifically financial dishonesty? Because you hear about this all the time, couples who are just not able uh, to talk about money. So instead of talking about it, they just hide some of their debts or some of the spending that they're doing uh, because they just don't know how to bring it up with their partner. Yeah, absolutely. We actually recently conducted a survey hosted on the Angus Reid Forum to see just how uncomfortable Canadians are when it comes to talking about money with their significant other. Really interesting findings that came out of that. So the survey found that 97% of Canadians believe that transparency and open conversations about finances are really fundamental for a successful relationship. But 45% of Canadians confess to actually being financially dishonest with their partner And 44% of Canadians confess to feeling embarrassed or ashamed when it comes to talking about finances with their partner. We know that these financial issues are, they're make or break for a lot of Canadian couples. Three quarters of them were saying that certain financial topics or issues would actually lead them to consider ending a relationship. And interestingly enough, we saw this more specifically with a younger generation, so Gen Z, being twice as likely than boomers to say significant differences on attitudes towards finances, such as spending or saving would be a deal breaker for them. So we can see that Canadian couples know that, you know, these conversations about money and openness about finance is really important, but this fear and shame that they're feeling around it is really holding them back. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, some of the things that 
I saw here was uh, dishonest about how much they've spent on a purchase. So they're hiding those purchases from their romantic partner um, or they're hiding their credit card statement because it's got those purchases on it. And that can really, uh, from, even from a, from, a, from a personal perspective, that can really create a lot of mistrust in a relationship. If you all of a sudden you open their credit card statement and you see, wow, they spent all this money and they didn't tell me about it because that has an impact on your uh, relationship and how you can make d goals when it comes to when you want to buy a house or when you want to travel or other things you might want to do with your money. You've actually designed a game, uh, Coast Capital has, that tackles money issues among couples. Can you tell us how this game works and how it will just make it easier to bring up the issue of money with, uh, with your significant other? Yeah, absolutely. So Talk Money to Me is an interactive card game that helps, like you said, couples break the ice around money conversations that they've been putting off, but they know that they need to have them. And we know that these open and honest conversations, just like you were referencing about debt, personal spending, um, you know, those affect our joint finances. And those are really key to building that strong financial foundation and your relationship foundation. So this game is a really approachable and easy way to get those conversations started. The game actually has four different categories that get increasingly more intimate as you go. So the first category is called, do you? And these are yes or no questions like, do you want kids? And it eases couples into these types of conversations. The second category is, would you rather? And this dives more into financial priorities, like would you rather rent or own a home? The third category is how much? So starting to quantify these financial questions, these financial topics, or with questions like, you know, how much should a wedding cost? And then finally, our most vulnerable uh, category, which is this is awkward. And it really delves into some of those more challenging conversations around things like prenuptial agreements or will and estate planning. When it comes to actually playing the game, we've kind of designed it so there's two different ways that you can play the game. And we, you know, jokingly, but honestly say it's kind of based on your risk tolerance. So for the risk-taking couples, if you feel confident that your relationship can handle any question, you just shuffle that deck and you pull any card from any category as it comes. But for couples that are, you know, just getting started or maybe a little bit more risk averse or it's been a heated topic, we would encourage them to take things a little slower and you know play in order of the category so that they can kind of build that trust and comfort as they work up to those more vulnerable you know topics and conversations uh, I really like how the game tackles everyday questions. So it's not just about how much do you make and what debt are you in? And you do have some of those questions about, you know, where do you expect to live and how, you know, how many kids do you want to have? Because all of that does impact your financial situation. But even questions about day-to-day -day stuff, like where do you like to grocery shop? Uh, you know, what kind of car do you want to drive? Because these are things that we don't really think about when we get into a relationship, but that can really have an impact on how you feel about your partner spending. So if your partner shops at the posh grocery store and you like to go to the sort of, uh, you know, no frills kind of grocery store, um, you can always feel annoyed. Well, that cereal is half price at the grocery store that I go to. Why would you go there? Well, they might say, 
no, but I like shopping there because there's more selection or whatever the reasons might be. Um, so I really like how that game tackles all different types of issues, uh, not just the big stuff, but also the small stuff. Uh, from your experience, why is it that money is so difficult? So, you know, the genesis of this game, why to make a game so that we can make these conversations easier. Why is it so hard to talk about money with, with your partner who you share your life with in, in, in all respects? You'd think it would be easy, right? We're so open about all these other topics, especially, you know, in the younger generations, like nothing is off the table, but money really seems to be that continued, you know, that final taboo topic that we're all really struggling with. And when I think about it, I think even the data was showing us like 44%, almost half of Canadians are saying that they feel shame and embarrassment when it comes to talking about money. And you know, many of us grew up in households that didn't know how to talk about money. We went to school that didn't really teach us much about money at all. And now we're standing here as adults thinking we really should know more about managing our finances and we don't. And that's embarrassing. And I think people are afraid to say, hey, I need help. And, you know, I don't know where to start or I'm overwhelmed or I'm in debt. And I think that personal shame really holds them back. We also actually saw in our survey that as well as those feelings of personal shame, you know, couples are afraid of their partner's responses. So is this going to bring up, you know, arguments and fights? Is my partner going to think differently of me or, you know, judge me or disapprove? And I think that fear of judgment is really causing a barrier between partners and just leading to that general avoidance overall. So if somebody is interested in, in playing this game with their partner, whether it be on Valentine's Day or maybe in a couple of weeks time, maybe they want to just bring up the conversation of money this week and then say, hey, you know, there's this game that we could we could participate in and might make it a little bit easier for us to talk about things that feel a little uncomfortable. Where can we go to get this game uh, um, easily? Yes, we want as many people to get Talk Money to Me as they can. So people living in British Columbia, you can pick up um, a Talk Money to Me card deck at your local Coast Capital branch and everyone else can play online at coastcapitalsavings.com slash talk money. Uh, that's amazing. I think it's really important uh, because like I said, money is one of the biggest reasons that couples fight and break up. Uh, financial dishonesty, as your own survey found, is still a major issue. Uh, there are still a lot of conversations that are just not happening, uh, not necessarily because they're trying to hide it from the, the their significant other, but just because they feel uncomfortable bringing it up. What are you hoping uh, to, to, that couples get out of this game? Uh, outside of just being able to bring up this conversation, conversation of money what are you hoping long term that they'll gain from playing a game like talk money to me yeah absolutely I, I think oftentimes the hardest part in these difficult conversations is actually just getting started building that muscle around openness and transparency about your finances with your partner is something that not only helps you in the short term like you said about deciding which grocery store you go to but really sets you up for that fluid and ongoing conversation so that as you go to buy a home, as you, you know, if you decide to bring children into your family, as you plan for retirement, that at the end of the day, you're on the same page and you have solid financial foundation to fall back on as a couple. You know, our goal at Coast Capital, we say we're all about being for real and that's about showing up for Canadians in really authentic ways in these moments that matter for them. And 
talking about money and strengthening that muscle as a couple is so important. So that's what we hope is that couples can start to get better, have more frequent conversations, you know, reach out to us if they need help, but really start to get better at these difficult, um, you know, I'm going to air quote taboo conversations that don't need to be. We're so good at talking about everything else and we need to get better at talking about money. And that's what I hope this card game does is really get that going and get couples on the right, you know, financial path together. Well, Trish, thank you so much uh, for joining us today on the program and talking to us about uh, this new game that can just help couples talk about money. I think it's going to be very valuable to a lot of couples who find this topic really hard to bring up. Thanks so much for having me. Really enjoyed our time. That's Trish Tambellini. She's Director of Brand Marketing at Coast Capital. And like she said there, you can pick up a game at any of Coast Capital's branches if you are in British Columbia. You can play it online as well. But even if you don't do any of those things, really think about having that money talk with your partner at some point. And it's when you get more serious about your relationship that you really do have to bring up money. So what does that mean when you're getting married, when you're getting engaged, when you're having a baby, when you're moving in together? All of these situations mean that you're merging your finances together. And so their money affects your money. Your money affects their money. And so they have a right to know if you're in a lot of debt or what your spending habits are. We are going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about a new survey by BMO says, Uh, people expect to save $1.7 million in order to retire comfortably. I'm going to break that number down and talk about how that doesn't necessarily mean that number is for everyone. I'm Rubina Ahmed-Huck, and this is For What It's Worth. From understanding a global economic crisis to crunching the numbers at the grocery till, you're listening to For What It's Worth with Rabina Ahmed-Hawk. Up until I'd say a year or maybe a year and a half ago, the magic number that personal finance experts would constantly talk about when it comes to retirement is saving a million dollars means that you are comfortable enough to retire. Now, you obviously can't have a 50 year long retirement. So it's not like if you save the million by the time you're 30, you can just retire and expect to live on that. It's a million dollars by the time you're 65 that you could have a reasonably good retirement. Now, a new survey by BMO says Canadians now believe that they actually need to save significantly more than a million dollars, $1.7 million. And that's actually up 20% from their own survey that they did 2020. So that million dollar number according to their survey, has not been relevant for a while. That's the number that I've been talking about for a long time. But now the average Canadian believes they need to save $1.7 million in order to have a comfortable retirement. And there are a number of reasons why we are feeling this way right now. Number one, the cost of living has gone up significantly in the last year, year and a half. And so we're just feeling like we need more money because life is getting more expensive. So that's a response to what's happening right now with inflation and cost of living and interest rates and a lot, a lot, a lot, all that stuff, right? But it's also, uh, we are living longer. So our life expectancy continues to go up and up and up. So we have more years that we need to cover with our money. And so that really does mean uh, that you need more cash in the bank. And we don't have the privilege anymore of work, work, um, workplace pensions, the way that uh, the boomer generation did, or the generations before us did, where really, 
most of your retirement savings came from your workplace pension. So you started a job when you were in your 20s. You kept that job for 30 plus years. They saved into a workplace pension that was guaranteed. It was a defined contribution plan. Um, and you got uh, rather a defined benefit plan. And so you got a guaranteed amount of money when you retired. Now those plans have been converted to defined contribution plans. So they really uh, are are reliant on the, on the performance of the market. So that's one thing that's created some insecurity. The other is a lot of companies just don't have workplace pensions anymore. And so many Canadians are thinking, well, I'm going to save my own money in my RSP, which is great but also rely on CPP and OAS. And CPP and OAS, which were created in the 60s, really were created as a sweetener to your uh, retirement savings. So you had the chunk of your expenses taken care of uh, with your retirement savings and OAS and CPP just sweetened the deal. So it made it a little bit easier to take up a hobby and travel and do other things. They weren't really expected to be your sole source of income. And so this new survey I found really interesting, 1.7 million. And I wanted to put that in for, into perspective. So you could save 1.7 million by the time you turn 65. So a, a 25-year-old today could easily, by saving, you can go into a retirement calculator by saving uh, X amount of money over time and investing it and not touching it too much over time could equal $1.7 million. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get the retirement that you want. Because some people want to have a very simple retirement. They want to move to a cheaper part of the world, cheaper part of the country. They want to, they just want to have a quiet retirement. And so that's not going to cost very much money. But others want to travel. They want to take up expensive hobbies. They want to be able to uh, host their friends and have really, you know, glamorous parties. Because when you turn 65, you still want to have fun. It's not like all of a sudden you don't want to have fun anymore. So for a lot of people, retirement is actually more expensive than your working years because all of a sudden you've got more time to spend on things that you love. And as we all know, when we travel and go out, those to those times in our lives are are pretty expensive. You can spend a lot of money when you are, uh, you know, not doing much during the day, uh, just entertaining yourself. So I want everyone to put that in perspective, 1.7 million. There is a great calculator uh, on the Canada.ca website, uh, Retirement Income Calculator. So if you Google Canadian Retirement Income Calculator, it will come up. It takes a little bit of time to get through it, but it does help you understand what your current financial situation is and then what you need to do to improve your retirement savings uh, situation to reach those goals that you've set for yourself, whether you need to save more money, be more aggressive in the things that you're investing in, it will spit out a bunch of ideas for you. So I re highly recommend that you not only go and do the, the work with this retirement income calculator, but you do it often. So, you know, this is a good time, tax time, RSP deadline time. A lot of us are thinking about our money and our financial situation. This is a good time around this time of year where there's not much else going on. Uh, to really sort of just touch, you know, get in touch with what's going on with your retirement savings. Are you on track to get to where you want to be? And then realistically think about what you want retirement to look like. And for me, for example, I have recently decided that I'm not going to work just till 65. I'm probably going to work till 70. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe slow down a little bit, but definitely not just drop out of the workforce at 65. I think I plan on continuing to write and broadcast and do other things, especially when it comes to personal finance uh, past the age of 65. And so that really does change um, how I'm planning for my retirement because the expectation is 
because I'll be making some money past the age of 65. So I won't need as much retirement savings. Um, I definitely don't want to be working full time and then, you know, going on the train into work. But uh, I think that I can still be making some income past the age of 65. And so that will help me plan for retirement uh, better. And I can also plan to not have to tap into all my retirement savings uh, until I turn 70 years old. So those things are things to think about. What do you want your retirement to look like? Uh, How much you expect to spend in retirement? And that $1.7 million number, I think it's significant. And I think it's important that we understand that Canadians are understanding that we need more money now in retirement, but that may not be your number. Your number may be less. Your number may be more. I think the number one thing is, is that you need to start saving uh, on a consistent basis. So every single month, putting some money into your RSP and investing it, not just sticking it into the vehicle, but investing it, stocks, bonds, fixed income, whatever it is that feels comfortable for you, so that over time, it's going to pay you. That investment's going to pay you back. So take a look at this survey if you get a chance. Uh, BMO is the one that put it out and, and see if it, it see if it really resonates with you, if you've changed your retirement savings goals in the last little while because of where the, co- the cost of living is going and whether you're thinking, I need more money when I retire. And if that's the case, up your savings. That's the only way that you're going to get there is by upping your savings and making better investment decisions. I'm Rubina Ahmed Huck. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back at this time next week. This is For What It's Worth.